Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Dr. Brady Brewer, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. And joining me today is Dr. Michael Langmeyer, who is a professor and the associate director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture here in the Department of Ag Econ at Purdue. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to focus on the new release of the 2021 Purdue Crop Cost and Return Guide. Uh, and before I turn it over to Dr. Langmeyer to detail what that is, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out that um, all the materials that we talk about on this uh, episode, if you want to follow along, can be found on the Purdue Centers for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And the title of the article is the 2021 Crop Cost and Return Guide. So with that, uh, Michael, do you kind of want to give an introduction to what this decision tool is? Yes, the the, the annual Purdue cost, uh, Crop Cost and Return Guide is something we've been doing for a long time. Every fall, uh, you're doing, doing I read the initial estimate, usually in September, uh, September, October, in that time frame. And, and what we're doing is we're laying out a gross revenue, variable cost, and overhead costs, uh, and and with that we can calculate earnings or, or economic profit for for different crops. Uh, we typically look at continuous corn, rotation corn, rotation soybeans, wheat, and double crop soybeans for low average and high productivity soil. And the main thing we're trying to do here is just lay out some uh, some information that 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 producers and agribusiness people can can use as a starting point as a starting point when they're going through going through budgets. And so that's the main reason we, we, we provide this information every fall. And we do update this all the way through the spring, typically. And so uh, the, the estimates we're gonna talk about today are from mid-November. Uh, this, this publication is, is co-authored with Craig Dobbins in the Department of Agriculture Economics, uh, Bob Nielsen, uh, uh, Tony Vine, and Sean Castillo in the Department of Agronomy, and Bill Johnson in the Department of Botany and Plant Pathology. And, and so those folks over, over the years have helped with the fertilizer recommendations and also in particular the ag chemical uh, pesticide uh, 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 pesticide recommendations that go into the calculations of the guide. Now, uh, Michael, I wanna stop you just for a second because I think you made a key point there. Uh, and this is a big belief that I have. Decision tools like this should really be used as a, as a starting point, right? The numbers you've compiled and the numbers you're gonna be talking about today, uh, these, these can almost be seen as averages, right? They, you know, uh, different, the input costs, the output prices, they're averages uh, as best we know it now. I always recommend producers, take this and, and look at how your costs may be different and, and definitely use this as a starting point to plug in your numbers uh, maybe you have different fertilizer costs, different uh, crop protection costs. Uh, that's going to give you a much more precise number for your farming operation. Yeah, that's definitely the case. These are just a starting point. We try to validate the numbers uh, using data from surrounding states, and in particular, the Illinois Farm Business and Farm Management Association. Those are actual numbers from farms, and so I make sure that I compare our budgets with the Illinois FBFM data and make adjustments every year. But one of the things we do in these guides, and this is typical of budgets like this that are produced by land-grant universities, we provide enough detail there, particularly with, with respect to fertilizer, that would be a good example, but also seed, so you know not only the cost, but the rates that we're using. 
So the seeding rate per acre on corn and soybeans and wheat, we've got that in there. We've also got specific information related to related to nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, um, uh, potassium, and sulfur. And so if, you're, if, if your soils require different amounts of fertilizer or use a different seeding rate, it should be relatively easy uh, to make the changes and, 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 and create your own numbers or estimate your own numbers. And, and we, you know, we, because we use the low average and high productivity soils, it's, it's so important to look at, the, look at the information that's relevant to your soils. And you may have all three different kinds of soil on a farm. And so that means you're going to have to uh, you have to do a budget on rotation corn for low productivity, average productivity, and high productivity. Uh, but I, I'm such a believer in, in, in calculating the budget uh, for every field that I, I think it's well worth a person's time uh, to look at these numbers and, and then, and then uh, uh, create your own sets of numbers for each field. Yeah, that's going to give you the the best estimate of the the profitability per enterprise per unit for your particular farming operation. That way, you can make field by uh, field decision because that that is one of the great things about this tool is that since you can compare you know, your continuous corn rotation to your double crop beans rotation or however whatever cropping rotation you have, it allows you to compare that to to see what would be most profitable on a particular field. So that's that's the tool, you know, a broad overview of the tool uh, and what it can be used for making these uh, decisions between crop rotations. Uh, and we, we've kind of gone over some of the caveats, the, you know, make sure you plug in your specific numbers. Uh, but one of the other things that you look at specifically, Michael, when you're doing this tool is, is the trends uh, from previous years, uh, both in input prices, upper prices, and, and also uh, from a break-even standpoint. Yeah, before I, I talk about that, I want to make a point related to the overhead costs. It's, it's really easy for, for people just to say, well, I really don't know what those costs are, so I'm going to leave those out of my break-even. That's extremely dangerous because you're going to underestimate your break-even price. And, 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 and so let me talk a little bit about the overhead costs, then we'll talk about trends. And, and, and these two subjects are related because some of the reduction in production costs are related to the over overhead costs. And so I'll get very specific with that. But, but we count as overhead costs in this budget uh, labor. And so we are, we are putting labor and uh, operator labor and hired labor together. And so you do need to have an estimate uh, for, for labor. And I would suggest doing a separate estimate for hired, separate estimate for operator per crop. And really think about uh, th think about the accuracy of that number because labor costs vary tremendously across enterprises and across farms, and so that's very important to spend time on that. Another very important cost item that's not as easy to calculate, uh, but uh, but there's some there's some fairly easy ways to get a, a quick and dirty handle on this uh, is machinery ownership costs. Uh, one of the ways I suggest doing this is you just get a quick and dirty method of calculating machinery overhead costs is what is your machinery investment per acre? And then once you've got that, uh, you can calculate depreciation, maybe using a 10-year useful life, and then using an average interest rate, and you can estimate what depreciation and interest is using, that using, for example, like a $500 investment per acre, and it gives you an easy way to, to, uh, to guesstimate uh, what your machinery ownership costs are. But those can vary also very tremendously across farms. And so spend some time thinking about what those machinery ownership uh, costs are. And these are not purchases in this particular year. This is related to the machinery I, I, I currently have. Uh, so all the machinery on my farm should be, needs to be in that machinery investment per acre. Uh, and we have a separate publication on the Center, for Web, Center website that goes through 
uh, machinery costs, machinery investment in much more detail, but don't forget that cost. And then finally, uh, the land cost, this should be included regardless if you own the ground, because if you own the ground, uh, you wanna evaluate whether you're getting a decent return on your ownership of that ground. And so I typically use a cash rent and that cash rent should be associated with the specific field. So it's a high productivity field. It obviously will have a higher cash rent than if it's a low productivity field. And so, and so that's also very important uh, to, to estimate. Uh, make sure you spend some time looking at those uh, cash rents and putting in reasonable numbers because when you look at the cost shares for rotation corn and rotation soybeans, uh, for example, an average productivity soil, um, land is the largest cost uh, when you're looking at all the costs. Uh, if you're looking at a corn-soybean rotation, uh, year in and year out, approximately one-third of all costs are land costs. And so that, that leads me to talking about trends in production costs. Two of the big cost items that have declined since that 2014-2015 period, which was the peak in production costs, at least the recent peak in production costs, are fertilizer. Uh, fertilizer costs are down quite a bit. This was particularly for corn uh, compared to what they were in 14-15. That makes quite a bit of difference on the break even. But probably the largest one is land. Uh, you know, land, land prices in Indiana peaked in 2014, and depending on where you're at in Indiana, have declined from, you know, about 10 to 15 percent uh, since that peak. And so, and so cash rents have also come down uh, since 2014, 2015. How does that translate into break-even price? Glad you asked, Brady. Uh, the break-even price in 2015 for corn on average productivity soil, according to our budgets that we prepared in we prepared uh, in the fall of, of, of 2014, was $5 per acre. So a break-even price of $5 per acre uh, for corn in 2015. We haven't seen $5 corn for quite a while. And so, and so my point here is it's come down substantially. Uh, fertilizer and land certainly contributed, but that's a, that's some other costs also uh, helped out here, but the break-even price and average productivity soil now is closer to 410. And so we've taken about 90 cents out of that break-even price from 2015 uh, to the to the 2021 budget. That's quite an accomplishment uh, you know, for, for production agriculture. The same is true in soybeans. On average productivity soybeans in 2015, we were looking at a $12 break-even price. Again, uh, you know, soybean prices are pretty strong right now, but it's been a while since we saw $12 cash prices. Um, uh, in 2021, we're estimating the break-even price on uh, average productivity ground to be $10.50. And so that's also came down quite a bit. Uh, if you look at high productivity soil, it's even, it's even lower break-even prices. The break-even prices tend to, tend to be lower on the higher productivity soil because if you think about it, a lot of the inputs are not that much higher on higher productivity soil. Uh, compared to the average productive soil, yes, cash rent's higher. You have to use more seed, perhaps, more fertilizer, but it, it's not that much more uh, compared to average productivity. So when you look at a higher productivity soil, you're looking at break-even prices for corn uh, that's closer to three uh, 380 so quite a bit lower, uh, lower than $4. That's the key point there. And then soybeans, about nine seventy five. And so certainly, certainly uh, long-term goals in, in, in the environment here is, is to see how your break-evens for corn and soybean compare to that $4 for corn and $10 for soybeans. Are they higher than that? If they're higher than that, why? What particular costs uh, are contributing to my higher break-even price for corn and or soybeans? 
But when doing that, just to make sure you include all the variable and overhead costs, you're kidding yourself if you leave out something like machinery costs, because that's that's a big cost. Or if you're if you own the land and you're leaving out um, an opportunity cost for your land, again, that's not a apples to apples comparison. So when you're when you're doing those break evens on your different fields, uh, just make sure that you're including all the costs costs in there. But that that's the basic trends and break evens, and it's been really really good news uh, in in terms of reduction of break evens over time. Uh, good news for 2021 is the prices are pretty strong. Uh, compared to what they've been in the last several years uh, when you look at the budgets. Now, um, you, you look at corn, this was uh, in mid-November, so just a, a week or so ago, uh, adjusted for basis, uh, we were looking at corn about $3.80 uh, for the fall of 2021. Uh, soybeans were $10.10, and, and certainly there's been upward pressure on soybeans, and so they might be even higher than that uh, when it's all, all said and done. Uh, and so the prices are are, are are particularly strong uh, in 2021 uh, compared to 2020. Now, having said that, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about economic profit. You know, economic profit is 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 the profit uh, you, you achieve after you've covered all cash and opportunity costs. And as we know, Brady, in the long run, we expect economic profit to be zero. And sure enough, when I do the calculations, that's one of the ways I validate the budgets over time. When I do the calculations over time, the economic profit is approximately zero. We had strong profits in 2007 to 2013, particularly for corn. Um, 2014 to 2020, uh, the economic profit was, was, was quite a bit lower uh, with, with soybeans having a stronger profit than corn uh, during that time period. I'll talk more about that, the soybean uh, corn uh, comparison here in a little bit. 2021, if you look at high productivity soil, for example, we're actually looking at a small economic profit. If you look at average productivity soil, we're still looking at an economic loss there, but it's much closer to break even uh, than it certainly was last year, two years ago, and three years ago. And so, and so the news is is, is particularly particularly good uh, with the, with these higher prices. Uh, one of the one of the negatives, but I'm going to take I'm going to I'm going to spin that positive is that we're assuming zero government payments for the fall of 2021. But as I argue. Uh, or as I indicate when I do meetings with, with producers, that's a good thing. With the our County PLC programs, if, if prices are real high, you get no government payments, but you get the high prices. And so the fact that the government payments are zero um, just means that the prices are relatively strong and we're not expecting any payments from the ARC County and PLC programs. So I just want to uh, make a couple of call-outs to what you just said. Uh, so first, going back to the trends and the break-even, uh, you know, the corn, I'm just going to highlight uh, corn right now, $5 to $4.10 in my rough back of the envelope calculations. That is almost a 20% decline uh, in input costs during that, that six, seven uh, year period you just mentioned. That's, that's a pretty substantial decrease in input costs uh, over that time, which is, is, you know, driving that decrease in the break-even price. The other thing that I uh, want to touch on uh, is, you know, the usefulness of this this type of decision tool. Uh, you've prepared the, you know, these averages of of all these input costs. I just want to encourage producers uh, not to just focus on that end line. Like, yes, this, you know, you're, you said we're going to get to thinking about corn versus soybeans and what this tool can tell us here, here in a little bit. 
But a lot of the usefulness in this tool is looking at these input costs that you've prepared, Michael, and, and using that to benchmark your farm. You know, we, we've told you we don't expect your farm to be exactly the same as what's on this, uh, this decision tool. But one of the things you need to be set, uh, doing is asking, why am I different? Okay, my fertilizer cost is higher than what, uh, what's in this decision tool. Why? Is it because of your soil productivity? Is it because of your other production practices? Do you have other uh, farm management practices that's contributing to this? My labor cost is higher or my land cost is higher, or maybe it's lower. Uh, asking the why behind that can be a very powerful tool uh, to help you in making your, your yearly management decisions. Because maybe you're, you're way overspending on something that you're probably not getting a return for and the marginal benefit just isn't there. So asking the why behind it can can greatly improve your management decisions. And and do, do both variable and overhead costs. I mean, a lot of people do that with variable costs. And, and so they know if, if their fertilizer is $10 higher, they know, well, it's because I, I put sulfur on or something like that, or I put a little higher rate of nitrogen on. That's why my cost is a little higher. It's because of my, because of my soil. My soil requires a little bit more fertilizer. So those are kind of the kind of uh, questions you want to answer. But don't forget, going back to what I said earlier, don't forget the labor, machinery, and land costs. Make sure that those are accurate. And, and if they're higher, you need to figure out why. So, for example, if your machinery ownership cost is high, that, that gives you a competitive disadvantage uh, you know, of producing corn or soybeans or wheat. And you need to figure out, what can I do to reduce that cost? Do I need to adjust the size of my farm? Do I need to to think about my replacement strategy. I mean, this gets pretty complicated pretty fast when you're talking about uh, machinery, but that that those are the, the machinery and labor in particular costs that I see year in and year out, substantial differences uh, you know, across producers. When I look at the University of Minnesota FinBin data, or I look at the Illinois uh, Farm Business Farm Management data, or the, or the K-State uh, Kansas Farm Management Associate, Association data, I just see a lot of differences in those in those two costs. And, and as, I, as I indicated earlier, Brady, we do have more information on how to calculate and benchmark those costs in separate publications. And so uh, it should help uh, people think through how to calculate those uh, you know, appropriately. Yep. And then the other thing I want to point out here uh, in terms of the usefulness of these type of decision tools, do a sensitivity analysis. And what I mean by that is look at the, the cost. So once you get your costs into this, uh, the budget uh, and the tool, uh, do both a good, uh, a best case scenario and a worst case scenario for, for whatever you're analyzing. What if input prices uh, increased by 10 to 15%? Uh, or whatever you feel for your area would be kind of a maximum that they would increase. What if output prices, what if soybean price, uh, which as you mentioned earlier, has has definitely rallied here due to some uh, market, some factors out there in the market, uh, which is great. But what if what if soybeans went down below $10 or, or had a 20% drop? Uh, that may be a little bit drastic in that scenario, but but the point still remains: do a, a worst case scenario and a best case, and see see that would affect your profitability. Would you be able to survive a worst case scenario? And also, once you have this information, it allows you to do what we call partial budgeting or an examination of uh, benefits and costs on the margin. So, for example, once you have some good estimates, it, it's really quite simple to evaluate things like. Uh, fungicide, should I apply a fungicide or not? Or should I change my, 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 the ag chemicals that I'm using or the herbicides that I'm using on my farm? 
you evaluate the extra costs associated with that compared to what you have in the current budget, and then you try to evaluate the yield impact uh, and, and any other impact there may be. And so it's kind of a, a starting point to also think more about this benefit cost or, or partial budgeting. So, Michael, you you mentioned the comparing of the corn and soybeans, and that is probably a large uh, uh, reason to do this type of analysis is to get to the end profitability of some different crops. So what did you find with your latest uh, crop costs, the, the 2021 numbers that you just released? What did you find in, in terms of the comparisons across these different production practices? Well, consistent with what we've seen since 2013, I know this is averages, and so this may be different on, on, on specific farms, but consistent with our data since 2013, continuous corn does not look very attractive. Uh, you'd have to have a, a, a lot higher corn price than, than we're looking at for the fall of 2021 uh, for someone to grow continuous corn uh, or corn in second year. Uh, and what we're also finding, and I, and I know a lot of people like to use that corn-soybean rotation, so uh, this might just confirm that I need to stick with that rotation. What we're also finding this year is the difference between corn and soybeans, despite the rally in soybean prices. When you look at prices in 2021, the, the corn and soybean prices are not the same as they are today. And in particular, the soybean price is not expected to be as strong as what it is right now. Uh, you know, soybean prices are expected to remain under 1050. Uh, you're looking at the fall 2021. And so given that, there really isn't that much difference between corn and soybean profitability uh, for 2021. That's a big change uh, because since 2004, from 2014 to 2020, in particular 2020, soybeans were more profitable. Uh, and, so, and so we're looking at a situation that's much much more similar profitability uh, for rotation corn, rotation soybeans this year. And so I don't expect there to be as much um, a second year soybeans as, as perhaps there has been the last two or three years. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that's the case, but, but uh, I think the profitability, would, the profitability differences would suggest that we're gonna move more towards a 50-50 uh, corn and soybeans in Indiana. Yeah, so definitely it looks like the rotation is the way to go. But again, we just want everyone to know that's the caveat. Uh, this is you know kind of for an average year. So your farm may be different. So don't take this as a carte blanche uh, recommendation to move away from, from continuous corn. And another thing, Brady, that you, this is for Southern Indiana, when you were double cropping, double crop soybeans is feasible. Take a look at that wheat double crop soybean combination. Uh, the wheat profitability is... Does not look real good. I'll just I'll just state that the wheat profitability does not look real good. But when you combine that with double crop soybeans, that's a fairly attractive alternative uh, for for southern Indiana. And so uh, take a look at that again this year and see if that would fit into your system or if it makes sense uh, for some of your fields down down in uh, the southern third, uh, let's say, of Indiana. Yeah, I mean uh, that profitability on the double crop soybeans. Uh, when you get down to a combined, you know, after the wheat rotation, definitely makes that a lot more attractive. It it, de it depends on a lot of things. I mean, you know, it depends <laughs> on how good a wheat producer you are. It depends on how quick can I get those soybeans soybeans in after wheat. And so it's a it's an it's an intensely uh, intense uh, combination. But nevertheless, there's quite a few people down in southern Indiana that have experience with that. And so, particularly for those folks. Take a look at that combination again and see if it makes sense uh, for this upcoming year. Because in addition to uh, corn and soybean prices being a little stronger, we also expect wheat prices to be a little bit stronger, not quite as strong um, of an increase as, as the other two. 
but certainly wheat prices uh, didn't slip. Uh, and, and, and so that, that wheat double crop soybean combination, at least to me, looks like it may be a tractor for some folks uh, down in southern Indiana. Um, and, you know, we, we probably should also mention the, the output prices are what the best we guess we have now. This is not a market outlook that's in this tool. Um, obviously, there's a lot of factors going into play with demand from China and other trade factors. Um, and, and demand is a little bit uncertain right now for soybean and corn, even though it's looking a lot stronger than it did just a couple months ago. Uh, but don't don't take those output prices in there as as Dr. Langmeier's uh uh, best guess of what they will be in fall of 2021. That that's... Yeah, we're just using recent estimates, Brady, and, and we update those uh, on our monthly webinars. And so we usually go through at least the corn-soybean profitability uh, comparison every month, and we'll do that all the way through the spring. And so that, those, that, that'll serve as our update uh, of the prices, but also uh, if, if things change on the cost side. I'm not expecting big changes on the cost side, but you never know uh, when what when, when, uh, when the, when that may happen, so you know if if fertilizer seed prices would change, we'll we'll re- we'll reflect that in the monthly webinars. Yep, and and that brings up another good point, Michael. Not only do you need to change these numbers to best be reflective of your farming operation, uh, I also suggest open this monthly. Don't just do this at the beginning when you're planning your inputs here this January uh, and February when you're buying all or when you're planning out your your crop for the 2021 growing season. Update this because this could give you some uh, managerial info that you can use into the growing season. Uh, not just as as we get a better estimate of what prices will be at harvest of 2021, but input prices could change as well. So don't don't create this and, and file 13 it after it's done and you've made your initial decision. Uh, this can be useful as we get into the 2021 growing season. Yeah, and in particular, Brady, uh, use this as a component of your cash flow. Uh, you update the budgets and that, that should be able to flow into your updated cash flows. And, and one of the reasons, of course, to do do that. We've talked about that on another uh, podcast before. One of the reasons to update that cash flow all the time is to look at your ability to repay debt. Uh, to buy machinery. And so if you have an updated cash flow, you're going to have a much better picture uh, on whether you're going to have to have a contingency plan B uh, for repaying debt or whether the, uh, whether the upcoming year looks like a year you're going to be able to replace that tractor uh, that needs that that needs to be replaced. And so, and so you know, kind of use this in combination with some of the other tools uh, that we talk about on these podcasts. Yeah, your banker, your banker will probably thank you for the updated information. And not only that, this can be used as a, uh, a me- uh, as a tool to make an argument to your banker. Hey, this is this is where I'm currently at. I think I have the cash flow. If you need, if you've been putting off a capital purchase and and it can't wait till harvest, uh, this can act as a tool to to maybe convince your banker that that you have the cash flow is there to pay for whatever capital expenditure you're you're needing. So with that, uh, again, we, Dr. Langmar, we thank you for being on again. Uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, please feel free to reach out or visit the Center for Commercial um, Agriculture's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag uh, to download this report and the decision tool to help you make uh, you know, managerial decisions on your farming operation. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm... Dr. Brady Brewer, and we thank you for listening to this week's episode. Mm -hmm.